Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder of Sisu and your host of the show. And Sisu's focus, just so you guys know, if you aren't familiar with us, is really streamlining and automating the real estate industry. And um, if you haven't checked this out, you probably want to. We recently rolled out a client-facing app, which allows real estate teams to communicate with their clients in a more effective way through our platform. So anyway, definitely something you want to go to our website, check that out, and maybe request a demo if you want to see more. So today I have a special uh, episode. I'm really excited to have really a, a team here with us. I have Bobby Motes and Aaron Leff. And uh, I actually met Bobby about three years ago. I was introduced to him through one of our customers, Clint Neal. And uh, Bobby at the time was at the labs over at KW. And I think you were more focused on that, Bobby, than you were on building your team. But since I know that you guys, now you've partnered with Aaron, you guys are up over 40 agents now. You did over 140 million in closed volume. I believe that was 200% growth. So congratulations. And Aaron joined you as your team's expansion director and VP of growth. And uh, I'm going to turn it over and let you guys just give a little more update if there's something you want to share that I didn't cover. Yeah, actually, uh, shit. So, hi, I'm Bobby Motes um, and, and Aaron. Yes. Um, we, uh, so pre me going over to Keller Williams International and working with Lat on, on Labs with Gary, um, Aaron had joined the team before that. Okay. I think Gary kind of plucked me out of that and said, hey, I need you to come do this. And I was like, you don't say no to Gary Keller. And so I did that. And then Aaron was there and she basically was running the company all by herself. So they, it was moving in the background. But I had little to no focus from me at that time. I'm now, isn't it. your wife Shada actively involved in the team as well? She is. She was more actively involved then. She is. She's more on the ops side now. She's not doing a lot of a lot of business, a lot of transactions. She was in the beginning. She was the main agent on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but now okay. she's kind of in the back in the background and tries to be as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. Great. So uh, it sounds like it's been a great thing for you guys. I know it makes me think of the book Rocket Fuel. I know I have Frank by my side here at CSU and I'm the visionary and he's the implementer. And uh, I think that's crucial for anybody. I know my wife's found that on her team, bringing a new ops ops manager, uh, sales director. And uh, to really scale your business, you have to have that right person by your side or those right people. Absolutely. Yeah. What, how, what was our production when you joined? Uh, like the first, I think, year that I was here, it was like 60 units. Yep. 60 units. Something, 61 maybe. That was probably 30 million back then. Yeah. Okay. Which felt, it still felt like a lot back then. Yeah. It did. It did feel yeah. like a lot yeah. back, back in the day. But since then, and how many years have you been on the team? Four. 
Four. And she, she, when yeah. she started out, we basically said, hey, Aaron, here's a location that we want to jump into. Go do it. We didn't yeah. know what we were doing, right? Most people, don't, they don't know what we're doing. A lot of trial and error there. Yeah. Um, but she took it and she ran with it and then started gobbling up more and more <laughs> positions on the team, which is what you got to look for when you're looking for somebody to come in. You know, that rocket fuel style partner, mm-hmm. somebody that's going to come in and be your empire builder. Um, and now Aaron's role is VP of growth. We are partners in a coaching company together um, that we have the podcast for. And we are also partners in some other ventures just because she's gone out there and um, has, I mean, obviously took none of the agents that were here when you started are still here. And we've got about 40 agents all over the state of Texas. So we're in every major metropolitan area. And also, you know, one of the larger teams, period, from volume and transaction count. Yeah. Uh, right so, about. So congratulations on all of your growth and all of your success. Um, I'm excited you. to dive into your coaching company mm-hmm. today as well. But I really wanted to just, maybe you could firm up. So you, you did 60 transactions back then when you joined, Aaron. What are you guys doing today? We crossed just over the 400 mark for last year, um, and we are currently pacing for a little over 700 units for this year. Okay, great. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, what I'm seeing in this industry is the, uh, you know, the teams that are really running their business like a business are having massive growth, and others are struggling and saying there's no inventory. So mm-hmm. uh, con- congratulations on being the top half of that. Thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about this growth because you guys are now over 40 agents, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me, and this is just my perception at this point, but it seems to me that you guys are really doing this by expansion markets. You're expanding into other areas in Texas, or is this all one office? How are you guys doing this? So um, we joined the Keller Williams Expansion Network in February of this year. We had had partners in San Antonio and New Braunfels, and we had kind of made that work. It was pretty clunky with just the back-end market center. Like every time you went into a new one, you'd have to learn something new. So joining the Expansion Network has actually been a godsend because it gave us the opportunity pretty much overnight to expand into Dallas, Houston, Waco, and then, of course, bringing our other partners um, in San Antonio and Bromfels along. So it's really only been since the beginning of February this year that that had been possible. Okay. So describe, because if, if I'm not at KW, yeah, how do I know what the expansion network is? Tell me, tell me more about that. What exactly is that? The expansion network is the opportunity for teams to join a brokerage that is statewide so that okay. every time that you enter into a market center, you don't have an entire new backend system to learn. It makes yep. it really simple. You deal with the people who are at that statewide brokerage, and that's really it while you still get access to the market centers that are there on the ground. Okay, great. I didn't know KW had done that. I think that's a genius move. It's yeah. very difficult to expand your team into and having different brokerages with different comps and yes. all that stuff and sharing, okay, we're going to comp this brokerage on this revenue. And so no. anyway, I think that was a great thing that KW did that and congratulations to KW for that. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Like what has the key to your growth been? I know Aaron, you are all about culture. Maybe we can dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So I went to family reunion and for anybody who's not familiar with that, it's Keller Williams big conference several years ago, right as Bobby was getting pulled over to KWRI. And I'm sitting in this spot that if we're being real, I probably wasn't really all that qualified to sit in at the time. Neither was I. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so I'm sitting there spinning my wheels going like, where do we go from here? How do I grow this thing? We want to get a lot of the production off of Shana. How do we do that? So our business isn't dependent upon one particular agent. Right. And I went to family reunion and I sat down with three different directors of sales at that particular time period. And everybody was like, just start hiring. Like, don't overcomplicate this. Just get out there and do it. So, you know, we kind of did everything. I feel like a little bit the hard way where I went out there, I hired a bunch of people, realized we needed a better training program, came back, scrapped what we had, built it again, went out and mass hired again. Um, And so really it's been this cycle of figuring out the right people who belonged in our world, who saw it like we saw it, that wanted to be in community with us, especially when it came to culture, right? And so for keeping um, top of mind, the people who were growth oriented, wanted to build with us, you know, who were going to be generous, who wanted to give back to their communities, all of those things played into what it is that, that we've built up to this point. But yeah, it's all, it's all kind of come to fruition from that. And as, you know, as you build an incredible training program, it weeds out the people that maybe who are not in alignment with you. And that's how we've ended up where we've ended up. I've got an incredible team of coaches who they're amazing who have been in this come up with us. And um, yeah, we, we got there through the, the systems that we built. Culture. Now, this is not to say that it's just go out there and hire a bunch of people because that's not no. going to, it, it never works <laughs> like that. If you don't have the processes and the procedures and the systems to back this up, you're not going to succeed. You're going to get all these people on board and they're going to look at you and be like, what are, what are you doing? You have none of this figured out. So it, it did take us a little bit of time to get to that point yes. and to figure out where it was going to go. So now we can hire as many agents as yeah. we want. And, at least, and we have the systems and the processes and the procedures to back them up at a high level, especially right. with our training and coaching mm-hmm. side, which is our biggest uh, value add to those new agents. Mm-hmm. And in the past we had gone, we'd gone out there and tried to recruit some high producing agents and the problem there was they come they come on with a lot of baggage, a lot of things that we had to teach them to unlearn, mm-hmm. not because it didn't work out in the in the market, but because it didn't work with us and with with, with who we were and it didn't mesh with the other yes. agents on the team. And so that's a mistake a lot of people make is going for the top producers and trying to hire them first, not the people that fit. It seems to me the people that try to hire top producers are smaller teams, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe they have five to 10 agents. And they don't understand what an impact it's going to have if one of them leaves versus building a system that you can bring in. I'm guessing most of your agents are new agents or maybe they've been in the business for a year. What are you guys looking for? Yeah, I I just personally have always preferred new agents. I think that um, we actually see a higher level of success with them quicker than we do the producing agents. And that's because there's not habits to unlearn. There's not any baggage. Um, There's a little bit of like the producing agents, of course, trying to like reinvent the wheel when we're trying to give them the wheel, right? Like here's how it works. Um, So I actually highly prefer new agents with some type of success record in their background already. Yeah. I'm seeing that be a a pretty common theme across teams. You know, we work with a couple thousand teams now, and um, that seems to be more and more and more of the case where it's, it's migrating that direction. So you guys both said just a minute ago, you said, Hey, you know, I wasn't qualified. And Bobby said, neither was I. Um, So, you know, there, there are those moments in our careers, I think, where we either need to decide, and this is where grit comes in, right? We either need to decide, okay, I'm afraid of this and fear usually takes over and we don't do it. Or there's this, 
little, we're outside of our comfort zone and that's where growth comes from. And in my opinion, we should always live in the world of being just outside our comfort zone. So you guys were obviously both there. Tell us about that. Like yeah, we're, we're, we're always, always there. there. <laughs> and, and also let you know, I spent a lot of my career traveling around the country and you've probably done this too, Ryan, in, in having conversations with top teams and top agents, the very, the biggest teams in the world I've sat down with and brainstormed with their business. And the, the common theme among all of them, most of them, some of them think they know everything, but most of them will tell you, they have no idea what they're doing. We're all just trying to figure it out as we go. We're building this airplane and we're flying it. We're all just building different airplanes. Well, I think, I think that's a good point, Bobby. And I think another point I'd like to make here is investing in yourself, right? You've traveled all over the world meeting with teams. I know in order for my wife to grow her team, like she has same thing, like she invests over a hundred thousand dollars in herself every year, just in coaching and growth and different events and stuff like that. So I think uh, absolutely make sure you're growing. And the, the single most important investment you can make is the one in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and we forget about that sometimes as, you know, because, and we were talking about this today, you know, working in the business versus working on the business or working on yourself. Sometimes we get in the weeds, yeah. me, especially right now with the way the market is where, you know, there's just in any specific area, there's, there's low inventory and it's really hard to get buyers in that place. And so we're scrambling almost like triage mode, trying to figure out how do we take some of these agents in our business that are struggling and make them more successful mm-hmm. and f- focusing and worrying on that on a daily basis prevents us from actually stepping back, working on the business and then working on ourselves so that we can actually get to that, you know, thousand unit mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's dive into that. Give me a maybe a specific example of working on the business versus in the business. Because um, mm-hmm. that, that, in my opinion, that is the single hardest shift most real estate business owners have is making that shift. So I want to I dive into that with you guys. Like, how did you do that? How, how, do you, how do you go from working in to working on your business? Well, I think that the most successful leaders in our industry never get too far away from either one. I think it's important to always be in the trenches somehow with your people. And at the same time, if you don't take the space to develop your business, then your business is never going to push forward as fast as it can. Right. Um, And so, for example, for me, recruiting in working in the business would be me recruiting every day and meeting with recruits versus me stepping out to develop the process of recruiting at a higher level so that at some point I can leverage that out to somebody else, right? Of what which my once, which once again goes back to personal growth, right? Right. Exactly. If you're not if you're not growing, if if you're not growing faster than the business is growing, you're really not capable of continuing to lead that business, right? Exactly. Yes. And so that that personal development, the the working on the business part of it, in from my perspective, does include me as a leader, right? What, can I keep up with the pace at which our organization is growing? And how am I going to do that? And what are the tangible things that I'm pulling out and pulling into my life that need to happen in order for that to be the case? Yep. Love it. You have anything you want to add, Bobby? I mean, that's that's great. Also, at the same time, right, Aaron always says the, the right thing. I need. I had to jump out of production in the business to even get to a place where we could focus on building a team. I see a lot of top producers out there 
that are, they want to build these big teams and are breaking their backs, trying to build these big teams. Yep. But what they can never get away from is them actually being in production, thinking that they are the smartest person in the room at all times. And no matter what, they're going to do it the best way, period. And so the, the hard thing for a lot of these top producers to, to grasp is I, I need to start handing this off, get out of production as much as possible so that I can focus on building the processes and the procedures and implementing the tools and technology that will empower other people to grow that production. So I can then in turn, build the business. Because if you by yourself as a top rainmaker in the industry are out there and uh, doing all your listings or doing all your transactions, you're, you're going to cap out, right? My wife for first year in the business, she did, I think 50 transactions and she'll probably hurt me for that because it's probably more, but it was, it was 50 <laughs> transactions in 8 million back in the day. Her average price point was like 200 K. And um, she almost broke herself making that happen. I think yeah. she did. Right. Because I had a full time job. She was doing that. I wasn't helping her. And she was doing all the things that she needed to do. And she could not work on the business at all. There was no room to go out there and recruit. There was no room to go out there and hire an admin. There was no room to work on those processes and procedures because she was constantly inside of the business. And when we got to a place where I jumped out of my previous career and joined her, she was able to free up some brain space because I took over some clients also. And then we together were able to start and begin to build the business and start to bring on leverage and start to allow us the opportunity to work on the business, not in it. And some of the, and with, with top rainmakers out there, they have to figure out a way to get out of the day-to-day production. I don't care how much money it's making you personally. If you want to build a business and not a practice, you have to get out of that business personally and take and sacrifice the amount of money that you're going to make. Yeah, in the short term, so that you can make short more. Term. There's there's the short term period that you may actually make less money, or you may actually be going out of pocket mm-hmm. to build this business, right? And so that's the that's the risk that most are afraid of, not realizing that if they're in production, they really have a job, right? They don't have a business; they have a job. Yep. And as soon as they step out of production, they can get their hands around that and make that step. So I thank you guys for for talking about that, because in my opinion, it's the single most important thing for any team owner to make that shift and get out of production. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think I actually do think it's really hard for most people. The difference being that, you know, Bobby and Shana from this is from my perspective. Anyways, Bobby and Shana, they didn't you know, there was no ego about it for them. Like it didn't need to be about them. They didn't have to be the one running point, which made a lot of space for other people to come in and be just as successful as them. And it made it easy to partner with them. And in my experience in hearing other teams talk and hearing other leadership talk, sometimes it's very centric around them and not their people. And I think that that honestly is the biggest difference um, playing on this side of it away from, obviously I'm not an owner in the Moats team, right? Um, Being on this side of it. Yeah, great. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Um, I want to dive in. I saw something on, I think it was on your LinkedIn, Bobby. It said, what do the Q1 numbers say about our current real estate market? Can you answer that question for me? What do the Q1 numbers say about the current real estate market? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a bigger conversation, right? It's huge because yeah. there's, uh, you, you have all of these factors going into what's happening with the, the drop in listings at the moment. And that's, you know, inflation, you have rates increasing, which not necessarily correlated to, to inflation. 
we got out of this huge period where everybody was cash flush and they, you know, were trying to find their dream home and then everybody kind of stopped. And we, we got to this place where, where people kind of paused on selling. Right. And I think everybody's feeling that that's in the industry. We see that in the number of appointments set. We see that in the number of appointments gone, clients taken, mm-hmm. listings. I think this time last year we were, you know, apples to apples, probably double the number of listings than we have right now in terms of what's in the pipeline of people that wanted to to sell. And we have probably three or four times the number of buyers that want to buy. Mm-hmm. A big contributor. You have you have fewer listings, but you have more buyers. Is that what you're saying? Tremendously mm-hmm. more buyers. Okay. Okay. Um, Another problem that has contributed to this also is over the last 15 years, builders have been about a million homes short of what they need to create to create enough inventory for, for buyers, especially yep. first-time home buyers in these markets. And so because we're a million homes short, that's a lot. A million homes is a lot of homes to be short, especially in high demand areas like anywhere in Texas, yeah. Austin, Texas, even more so. And then at the same time, you had all of these big investment companies come in and buy up these properties and turn them into, either they held them in their portfolio or they, to take um, advantage of appreciation, or they turned around and they rented them out and turned them into rentals. So if you're a buyer looking for homes, you don't only have a million homes short from the new build side, but you're also probably a million homes short from the like for homes that are just resale available for sale. And that has created a massive issue that I think all came to a head as prices started to increase tremendously over the last year and more so um, this year, plus inflation. It's, it's so, uh, so with this, with this tricky thing of interest rates rising, you have this inflation, hopefully interest rates rising is going to help slow that inflation down. You have, you have lack of inventory. You have more buyers than houses. Every, and even though inventory is so low, there's still the same number of homes or more selling than have sold in past years. Mm-hmm. But it's just that they're only on the market for a day instead of being yeah. on the market for 60 days. So home prices going up with interest rates going up and home prices going up with home prices level off. I mean, what, what do you see happening over the next year, two years, and what does what does a business owner need to do to stay ahead of the game versus get buried in this? Um, over the next year or so, I I don't see this stopping in our core markets that we're in specifically. It may not be the same thing across the country, but especially Austin, Texas, this is not slowing down anytime soon. We're seeing a price per square foot hit a thousand dollars in Austin, Texas, with the average price per square foot quickly coming up to five hundred dollars per square. $500. So and what, is, what does that mean is your average price point now? Our average, the average price point in Austin, Texas is 570. Our average price point across the state of Texas is probably 450. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you said a few years ago in 2019, it was 200. Is that what you said? It, it was, no, this was 20, 2013. It was 220. Okay, great. But most of that growth has been since 2019 that we've seen. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do to keep up with this is we're diversifying our market. Mm-hmm. Right. That's part of what we're doing is bringing agents across the state into the modes team, um, expanding our lead generation massively across there to make sure that we can capture more of the opportunity that's out there, even if it is lower than it has been. Because some of our markets actually are selling less houses right, right now than they were this time last year. Austin is one of those markets. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that we get outside there and have more opportunity for our agents to win. Yeah, we're just we're just running full speed ahead. That's the best way for us to do it. Invest in lead gen because when it picks back up again, if you're the one during a 
a, a dip that is able to put your money where your mouth is and, and dive in at a really high level with your agents and your team and your leads, you're going to grow exponentially once everything either levels out or comes back up. Yeah. Great. Okay. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. I want to learn about Moats Mastery Training. How did this come about? When did it come about? Tell us more. Me? <laughs> this was one of those things that Aaron, I looked up at Aaron. I was like, you're doing this because you're amazing at it and people love it. Yeah. I think so. When it came to training at a high level, there was a point where it was just on me. And then I became the bottleneck of the organization. Like I, we could only filter so many people through me. And at one point I learned that my maximum breaking point for new agent count was about 23, which I think for most people would say that that's absolutely insane. However, I wasn't in production at the time either, but in, in that happening, I realized I needed leverage and I, that I needed leverage in a few ways. Number one, I needed a written down training program that I believed in, that I knew was successful synced and important for any new agent that was coming into our world. So I went back and I developed that and I wrote down everything that we had collected over the years, everything that I knew, anything that I could get from my maps coach. And I essentially combed through content for over a year going, what is important versus what isn't. Um, And then, so then I started teaching that. And then I brought in um, one of our agents. She had done an incredible job. She had been through the training program that I built. She saw a lot of success from what we were teaching and um, going through together. So I brought her in to be my first guinea pig coach. Um, And then I spent the next year developing that with her to make sure that that program worked at a high level, proof of concept, right? Right. And we brought in 15 agents during, um, during that year. And during, yeah, during that time, period. We figured out it does work. It works at a pretty high level. It did what it, what I needed it to, which weeded out the people who were not culturally going to be a fit and she ran with it. And then, so in October of this past year, we opened our Moats Mastery organization, hired a few more coaches that were already inside of our world who I knew had spent the right amount of time with me to be able to teach. Like I would want it taught. Um, And yeah, they've been, you know, running with it ever since. So it sounds like this was developed, first of all, for your internal business, so so your agents could actually be successful. Uh And now you've expanded it outside of your organization with this first coach. Is that correct? If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. The vision is, it's still inside of our organization. We actually... Have are building the platform to which we are hoping to bring on external coaches. And we already have people that want to partner with us. We're just not there quite yet. I never want to put a product out there before it's ready and before I'm confident that I can take care of somebody. But yes, those things are in the works. Yeah. Okay. So you say, you said, Bobby, were you going to add to that? It was solely inside of our, it was a part of the Moats team at one point. Now it is a separate organization for, and we're prepping, we're almost in beta testing right now to make sure that everything's working and we can grow past what just the modes team is using. Okay. So you say within the team, it works. Can you shed a little light on what exactly that is? I know everyone in this industry is like, they're willing to talk about what they're doing. It becomes a matter of execution, right? So hopefully you're okay to share. What is it that works? (laughs) What part of it is it that works? We, we separate. Yeah. Training. Yeah. Like 
like if you bring in a new agent, what is it about this mastery training that works? Like, give us an overview. What do you guys actually do to make these agents successful? These are brand new agents who have not been in the real estate business and they're coming in being successful. How are you doing that? Careful. I'll talk for 10 hours if you let me. So a few, a few different things. When I went back and we started to construct it, I came from the place of, I want to make sure whoever joins our organization, whatever personality type, and we very heavily lean on the disc personality type, um, whatever personality type will be able to learn inside of this program. So, so I'm going to stop you right there. Yes. You say you have them take the disc. Uh-huh. What personality type is your preference on your team? My preference is a high D because that's what I am. However, we do have some incredibly talented and valuable people who are, who are like a SC or maybe an IC mm-hmm. who are different than myself and who do learn inside of this program as well. And that was my biggest goal. Yeah. And let me be really clear. It is so painful for me to develop content as a high D. I, it is not something that I loved. I just saw it as an absolute necessity for where we were headed. So it was painful. I mean, it was painful all the way through. Like, don't think that this came out of like me really loving it because that was- I, I totally understand that being like a 99% D and a 98% I, but yeah. Um, what I've heard from a lot of team owners as of late, just with the number of leads you guys are providing to these people, mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot of, it used to be you always wanted D's, but now there's not as much hunting going on as there is lead follow-up. Maybe the SCs are better for that. Do you agree with that? Yes, I absolutely do. And actually, as we're building our ISA organization, which which we have, we're going for um more hiring right now, the personality type that we're looking for is an S, somebody who prefers a schedule, who is consistent, who, you know, craves stability. Um, That's really important for our organization at this point, because we do have the runners on the front end for the high Ds. Like we have our high D people, because that's usually who gravitates towards my personality. Um, So those people are already inside of our organization and it's setting up success for the rest of you know, the rest of the company, those other personality types. So yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay, great. Um, so I, I interrupted you with this disc thing. You were telling us what works. So yeah. let's continue down that road. Sure. So I, um, in, in this development, I went through and we created the online training platform. During that platform, they're learning everything from us, buyers, sellers, how to work with investors, iBuyers, discount brokers, um, marketing effectively, social media rules and things that you should do on there to capture people. Um, we're essentially teaching, we're giving them this entire playbook. And then layered on top of that are going to be weekly classes with our coaches And then, of course, they get one-on-one personal attention from our coaches as well during this training program and layering all of it in with that relationship and that um, person, like I try to match them up personality-wise with the coaches so that hopefully they can run similar businesses, right, Um, has been incredibly effective for us, especially when it comes to feedback of like team happiness and stuff like that. It's been it's been an absolute game changer for us. How many coaches do you have? Uh, four. Okay. So mm-hmm. your coaches are also agents. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so, she's on the cusp of getting out of production. She's got enough people underneath her and she really loves the training thing. So I, at no point am I going to force them out of production because that's been their safety net up to this point. Right. Um, okay. But the goal is, is that, you know, they all have a trainer's heart and they all want to be teachers and educators at the end of the day. So that's our biggest goal is to get them from production into being able to just be a coach. 
Okay, so this is more of, this is a growth opportunity for an agent coming into your organization. Yes. This is some of the other teams I work with might call these mentors mm-hmm. versus coaches. I like the name coaches and it's really a, an opportunity for them to grow into a leadership role. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's almost like they're mini team leaders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of organizations will have these and they're, yeah. they're more ge- geographically based. Ours are more personality based. Yes. Um, and a lot of the success that those that are agents, so I, we haven't really said, but agents that are go through our training program are seeing success in the first three months versus the first six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With some of them getting listings on week two, yeah. which we try to avoid because they haven't <laughs> learned that yet. Um, it does happen. But it does happen. But, it, but if they're D, they're going to go do that, right? right. Well, <laughs> but you're my favorite people, right? I love people that push and like break things and like talent is always going to challenge you. So at no point do I expect everybody to fit inside of this box that we built. Like we have left a lot of room for flexibility when it comes to those people who run into our organization with open arms going, we want to be a part of this and here's how we could do things better. And so uh, that's been really important to me is keeping that flexibility and grace with the people who want to be incredibly successful. Yeah. Okay. I love it. So one of the things you brought up and thanks for sharing more of those details. Again, the people listening to this are mostly business builders and for them to hear this. And like you said, there's a thousand ways to do things, Mm -hmm. what works for you. And, and really I want to make sure that everyone understands not just at surface level, but actually diving yeah. in what you guys are doing. One question I have on that, on the training, when they're going through these trainings, you guys have created training modules. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And do what, what software do you use? Do you know if somebody has actually been through a training module and passed that off? What, what do you use to track that? We use a platform called CoAssemble. Okay. Um, It it houses everything. Um, I found it really user-friendly for a high D at the very beginning. There are definitely some other products out there that you can really get into the details with it. And it did what I needed to easily and quickly. And it spoke to my personality type because there was some other ones that I tried out that just did not work. So that one seemed to be the easiest and user-friendly for us at the time, which was been several years now. Okay, great. I think it's a great idea to have people required to pass everything off. And if you don't have something like that, how do you know? Right. So you mentioned an ISA team. Let's talk about it. How big is your ISA team? So we currently have five ISAs. Okay. When did you start your ISA team? Who was your first and when did they come in? Um, Dina was our first. Yeah. It's been a while. So how long ago did you guys hire your first ISA? So Dina was uh, one of our top agents and we wanted to give her the opportunity in the ground floor with us. Um, One of the things that she did best was prospecting and she's actually a DC personality type, which is interesting for my my head. She really thrived inside of this prospecting piece of this and really was consistent and stuck to a schedule. So we were great, like, great, let's monetize, monetize what you are already good at. So she came in, me holding her accountable. I had previously been an ISA for two and a half years before I joined their organization. Okay. Um, I had had a lot of ISA experience. I had also built a team for the other organization that I was a part of. Uh, so I learned a lot inside of that. 
And in partnership with Dina, she had a lot of freedom inside of the role, but essentially her job at that point was to provide opportunities for our agents. So then we started hiring and bringing people in and it was back when things were a little bit more gray, but we, we brought in two people that just absolutely killed it. And my transparency would be, we got super lucky. Like we got really lucky with the people that, that we initially brought on. Um, What, What was their, what was their background? Like, how did you find them? sales. Okay. Yeah. They were from other industries. Uh Uh-huh. Call centers. Well, one of the girls, she was, um, she was an agent previously and didn't love the clients soaking up the weekends and the nights. And so she really tried inside of just the working day, but yeah, so Dina helped me essentially build that department. Long story short, she ended up, you know, taking it over and we've, we've built it from there. And some of the big hurdles we've, we've been through, because I honestly started to try, I tried to start an ISA team in 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. and that failed pretty quickly. I think because our main focus at the time was just purely outbound. Like, how do we just cold call people and drive business? And it took a shift after having a conversation at one of Gary's masterminds around, um, being strictly outbound to how do we drive more business inbound mm-hmm. to that a lot of things changed for us. And now the ISA team is about 50% of our business mm-hmm. because we're focused more on inbound leads, not just like Facebook leads and stuff like that. We're trying some other like Google local services and stuff like that. How do we drive in inbound leads, have the phone ring and us pick them up. It's so our sole yeah. focus with them is how do we get people to call us and reach out to us and then just have that ISA team, which is more as CSI personality mm-hmm. types to just right. follow up and build relationships with people that reach out to us. And so that is, that was a huge thing for us. Yeah. yeah that's a big, that's a big shift. And of um, course we did the wrong way 10 times first, right? Oh yeah. Like, like we hired the wrong personality types, hired the wrong people, hired too many, hired too little. Like we tried to go virtual during COVID that did not work for us. There have definitely been some trial and errors in there. I, I know sometimes, um, Yep. Trying to say it succinctly makes it sound like it all happened quickly, and it definitely did not. <laughs> well, what what I've noticed, and you know, I just sit back here and get to work with a lot of really powerful team owners like yourselves. And what I've noticed is about three years ago, everybody was talking about having an ISA team. But over the last three years, everyone has been through that same school of hard knocks that you guys have been. So for yep. these future team owners coming up, if we can help them solve that. Uh, What I saw early on was everybody was hiring agents, people who could potentially be agents in the future to be their ISAs. That's the last thing you want to do. That's been proven, right? You want to find somebody who's going to stay. Their dream is to be an ISA and to maybe lead an ISA team, but that's, that's where they want to be focused. So that being said, how do you guys compensate your ISAs to to keep them motivated and to keep them engaged and to keep them in your business. So in the, in the state of Texas, all of the ISAs have to be licensed. Mm-hmm. So yep. that, I mean, that's a little bit harder for us than some states, but we compensate them. They get a percentage of every deal that the agents do. And um, so we, we basically are splitting that commission with them, but we provide, and it's about, I mean, a fourth of what the agent gets, but at the end of the day, we provide them with an opportunity to, you can have basically a nine to five job. You don't have to work the weekends if you don't want to. And you can have a tremendous number more conversations and do more lead gen than these agents can on a daily basis. So we're going to prove out to you how you're going to make more money than any agent on the team 
if you do this job at hundred mm-hmm. percent. And um, so we, I, I'm a spreadsheets guy. I, I throw the spreadsheet out there and they look at that and they're like, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Now, does it work with everybody? No. Cause a lot of people look at the agent side and they're like, Oh, that's so glamorous. I want to get out there and be the HGTV agent. But yeah, anybody that's been in there knows that's that, not what being an agent is about. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to do that. Like we've had people leave agent roles and come into the ISA roles and they, they love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Our, our best ISA right now, she, that she was an agent and she's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to, that's great. I want to stabilize. So, so it seems to me, I mean, you guys know, everyone's been this way forever. Every agent wants to make at least six figures. My take is the ISAs are that way as well. They want to make at least six figures. So are you guys seeing that? You don't need to get into specifics on what you're paying your ISAs, but is that what you're seeing as well? And like you need to give them the same type of upside that an agent has? Um, yes. Well, I mean, anytime you bring somebody into your organization, you want somebody that wants to be incredibly successful, right? Like that's how you build a great business. And at the same time, yes, they want to be, they want to play in the same arena as some of our high D agents. And the thing about a high S personality, because we can coach directly to it because our coaches understand it so much now is that being able to speak about it, talk about it and help them understand how to get there has been incredibly value valuable to them. And I say that because a high S is going to take a little longer to get there than a high D. So when we talk about comparisons of our top agents versus our ISAs, we are really sure to clear that up on the front end that it might take you a little longer to get there. And this opportunity is still absolutely here. And another thing, so we pay our ISAs 10% of GCI for every bit, mm-hmm. for every deal that they bring in. We have in the past tried models where it's it's base plus bonus and things like that. And I, every single time that does not work. Mm-hmm. Never. Okay. Works. So you're saying it's a hundred percent commission? hundred percent commission. Ours is. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of people try to do that. It's just the, the tough part with that is it's hard to find people that want to do hundred percent commission that don't want to be agents. And yep. so, so it's the story that you're able to tell them be able to prove that out. That's going to, um, that sells them on that opportunity. And then the ones that see success in there are on, like we had um, a guy last year who he only worked six months and made over 60 grand in the mm-hmm. six months. Like the opportunity is there. It's yeah. huge. And there's more of an opportunity if you have ISAs that want to come in and be full commission, especially if you can prove it out to them. Mm-hmm. So being full commission, that means they're 1099. They're not employees. Is that correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I think that's different than I see a lot of times. And so thanks for sharing that, that side of it, that perspective. That's great. Yeah, you said over 50, over 50% of your business is ISA driven at this point, yep. it is. which is impressive with five ISAs. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. All right. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I wanted to dive into your podcast briefly. You have a new podcast called Onward Faster. And I read something online that said something about, okay, now what? So will you tell me, will you tell me about this? Oh, that, so the Okay Now What podcast was uh, a podcast that I did a few years ago. Okay. Uh, That's uh, different. In the way it was different. The Onward okay. Faster podcast is specific to, to real estate and helping agents just, we basically tear apart our whole business in there and, and uh, break down everything that we're doing with the ultimate vision to be a, uh, to, supplement coaching with our agents um, that are in training and, and show to them the value proposition that we have as a training organization. But I can let Aaron talk. There's lots of rambling at each other in there too. Yeah. So it's just, it's the two of you conversing, going back and forth. You're not bringing in guests. You're just, it's you guys conversing and sharing different. We haven't, we haven't brought any guests on yet. 
Um, but we, we hundred percent plan on doing that. We've got about five episodes in the books right now um, that are published. And it's been a lot of us taking our, our program and pro- our processes and procedures and breaking them down and talking through them um, and why they've been successful. For example, Aaron and her recruiting and why that's so successful. Recently, Aaron did a, um, I think it's the last a hundred recruits in a hundred days was what it was supposed to be. Yeah. She's like at 200 recruits and 257. Yeah. As of this morning. And I am 45 days in. Yeah. She's ridiculous when it comes to recruiting. And so that that we know the processes and procedures work there. And these are people that reach out to us and like, Hey, I'm interested in joining the moats team. We obviously don't say yes to all, every single one of no, those. We don't say yes to a fraction of those. But so if you're if you're bringing in that many recruits and you guys are at forty agents, obviously there's a process of weeding out who's a fit for your team, who's not. Can you yeah. walk us through that process? I follow the KPA process for anybody who's not familiar with KW. It's a Keller personality assessment. Um, essentially, Keller Williams gives us the platform to discover what are going to be their strengths, their weaknesses, what are they going to need from leadership, what are their, we talk about their goals and their life story and look for patterns of success throughout it. Um, we also get a really clear understanding of how they're motivated and what are they going to be motivated by in the future. And it's a five to six interview process. So it's a combination of resilience through the interview process because there's so many resilience through that and just like in innately having those conversations um, and not to simplify it too much, but a lot of it is about likability just as a client would like them. So we, we coach a lot through that. And if they've got a little bit of a competitive side, they're resilient through that process, they interview well then there's, you know, we can usually find a spot for them on our team, but you'd be surprised by how many people that go through this process miss one of those buckets. We, we also heavily leverage the market centers that we are partnered with through yes. KWIN, the Keller Williams Expansion Network, um, because we have to partner with them in those locations and then drive, we drive our recruits through them. But because we have so many recruits, we become really big partners with those market centers to help drive recruits to the market center also. So the team leaders end up loving us. Aaron's their best friend. So if they're not a fit for your team, you guys will pass them off to- Every time. We pass every single one off. We pass every single one off to the team leaders. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and we'll tell them, hey, we really like this person for our team. Uh, But we, we want them all to go through that process of speaking with those team leaders- um, and um, getting a really good understanding of what Keller Williams is about. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Um, so just for the sake of time, you guys, I want to first off, thank you for joining us today. Um, but I would love to get just last advice from you guys on somebody in the real estate business who wants to build a business or, you know, any, any, any advice you really want to give. Um, which, which may, may be different than that, but I mean, this is a conversation we have all the time with our agents. If you want to build a business in real estate, there's a bunch of different ways you can go. You can start from scratch. Well, first off, there's two types of businesses. There's most people out there building practices, which is a business that's going to grow with you and it's going to die with you once you leave, or you can build a business, which is going to grow and thrive despite you. And it's going to be, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be separate from you personally. When you leave, it's still going to be there. You got to decide which one of those you want right? Do you want to practice or do you want a business? The practice is going to provide you with a tremendous amount more money, probably with a lot less transactions and a lot less processes and procedures, but you'll make a lot of money. 
or do you want to go a business where you have more freedom and leverage? And you got to decide, but you're probably going to make a lot less money that route also. You got to decide which way you want to go. Then you got to decide how you want to do it. Do you want to do this with somebody already that's that has a team or do you want to do it by yourself? Because there's teams out there that will allow you to do those also mm-hmm. inside of their world. Or in brokerages, they'll do the same thing um, where you can be a rainmaker inside of a team and it can, it can be all about you there or you can build a business inside of a team. I'm seeing more and more and more of that. And I think that's kind of the way things are, are heading because, yeah. the, because the team brings so much value today. Exactly. And so our, our big goal with our agents is we want them to be business owners. We want them to come in and understand what their P&L looks like. We want them to come in and understand that they are making very high profit margins as agents on our team compared to if you went out and tried to do this on your own. And we want to empower them to, to build their life by design and create mm-hmm. that life that they're looking for inside of our world. And we're going to support them the whole way through it. So you got to decide, do you want to partner with somebody or do you want to do it by yourself? And when you partner with people, Hopefully that partnership is going to free up a heck of a lot more time for you to be able to focus on building the business, not in the weeds and um, just making new processes and procedures work. So my advice is very different from Bobby's uh, in true personality fashion of a high D get out of analysis paralysis and just start like just one foot in front of the other, no matter how many podcasts you listen to, no matter how many YouTube videos you watch, there are still failures that you are going to have to go through and you are holding yourself back from going through them by waiting. Yeah. That's great. Advice. You have to have it like all together to, yeah. to start. You don't one foot in front of the other. Just start. Yeah. You mean I don't have to have the perfect website and my flyers <laughs> and business cards set up before I start a business. <laughs> that's what I mean. I mean, the reality is, Aaron, I agree with you completely. Take action, right? It's execution that matters more than what you know. So execute. Um, So thanks for that advice. Thanks for being on the show today, you guys. Um, How do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out? What's the best way to reach out to you? Um, You can reach me at my email address. That's Aaron, E-R-I-N at MotesTeam.com. Yeah, or Bobby Bobby at MotesTeam.com. And Bobby is with an I, so or with a Y. I mean, <laughs> with a y. Bobby, Bobby with a Y. Yeah. So just wanted to make sure we clarify that. Um, so anyway, you guys, again, thanks for joining me on the Grit Podcast today. Excited for you guys and your growth. Congratulations again, and thanks for sharing that with everybody. And uh, for all of our listeners, I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.